welcome back to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Toria Bono. And today I am so excited because Tiny Voice is talking all about one of my passions, oracy. Oracy is not talked about enough. And my guest agrees with me, don't you, Sarah Davies? Absolutely. It's so important that we start talking about, well, talking, really, talking about communication. It's vital, it really is. And I'm really hopeful that from this podcast, so many more people will start talking about talking. Completely. And I mean, it's <laughs> such an important skill that we all just need to to start embracing more. Yeah, it's one that we take for granted. But before we start talking about that, and before I start going off on tangent, I need to start with the question that I ask all my guests, which is, who is Sarah Davies? Wow. Well, I got into teaching a little late, um, not too late. I still got quite a few years in me uh, left. <laughs> but um, what it is, is I think after university, I actually became an outdoor activity instructor for a while. Um, oh, and then, wow. yeah, so where my first kind of taste of teaching was um, through kayaking and climbing. Um, Everything that involved getting soaking wet through on a day-to-day basis. Um, but also seeing, you know, seeing children at their best as well, the most excited. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. pushing them out of their comfort zones. Uh, then um, came back, moved back to the north. Um, and from there, I did I did quite a few odd jobs, really. I'm not going to lie. At one point, I, I do believe I was a... Selling door-to-door windows, um, absolutely oh, everything. How cool! Yeah, worked in the call centres. Um, I, I pretty much jack of all trades um, is just completely through and through. Um, once I'd had my like, I was working as a recruitment consultant. Actually, I was uh, working for a company down in Manchester, and when I found out I was pregnant with my first son, my automatic reaction was to, you know, sheer shock and panic, and automatically move to be closer to home. Um, mm-hmm. And as soon as that was, you know, as soon as my son was born, I started thinking, hold on a minute, I need to actually. Go, move into a profession now so that was me then a, a very much one track minded okay I've got to uh, got to go and I'll become a TA and I uh, became a TA honestly it was it was such a, a hard job to do on a day-to-day basis um absolutely loved it though so I thought right okay I've I, you know I, I, I had my university I want to go into teaching um, in order to actually get on to teaching, I had to do a master's first. So I remember my uh, my son was wow. 12 months old and I got told that in order to actually get on into a teaching course, I'd have to do a master's first. Um, so I did my master's in English. Um, very stubborn. I was very, I was very much kind of like, well, I want to go into teaching, so I don't care how long it will take me to get there. Um well, two years after that, um, and doing quite a lot of cover supervisor work across the Northwest. And then finally graduated finally qualified and then since then I've become um, I'm now the uh, associate assistant head of a multi-academy trust and the head of English over there it's it's been a a long journey ish Uh, it's been a very much a, a kind of like a a test of resilience shall we say a test of my own personal strength and how far I can take things really especially I think a lot of it is to do with well hold on a minute what what legacy am I going to leave behind so to speak what can I what can I do to support my children and uh, I would say that it definitely made or break it like you know it definitely it made me and slightly broke me as well but it, it made me <laughs> having my children 
That's amazing. You've got a nine-year-old and you've also got a 19-month-old now. Yes, we've got a, we, you know, we like to keep things on its toes. So uh, we only thought just the other day, uh, as we were woken up at three o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning, we were like, well, you know, he's, he's nine now. Um, it's going to fade away soon. And then it was the sudden realisation, well, hold on a minute, as 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 that, that three o'clock in the morning wake up call will slowly desist. It will actually increase with the youngest as well. So it's a, it's a very interesting household that we've got here at the moment. <laughs> I'm sure I really am. So you didn't always want to go into teaching then. What what was it you wanted to do when you were little? Wow. Well, I I think my aspirations kind of were the same as my uh my my current like you know my my first glimpse into the employment market really. Uh mm-hmm. I remember I wanted to be a vet for a while. There was there was you know, there was at least the the two years where every single animal I wanted to nurture it and care for it. Um, that that was definitely a, a moment. There was also lawyer. Um, what else? Journalist. Journalist was quite a good one. So you've always you've always been keen on words then with the, the whole journalism thing and English. And so were you passionate about English as as a sort of child and teenager? Well, I think. I was I was passionate about it. Do you know what? I had a love for conversation. I had a love for communication. I mean, even these days, I love, absolutely love reading. I absolutely love, mm-hmm. you know, everything about it. I love exploring literature. I lo- love the the psychoanalysis, the the sociological side of it, the psychological side. I absolutely adore all of it. And I think the biggest thing is the analytical part of it, really. And I think mm-hmm. it's about the conversations that can be had from it. Um, and and that kind of that goal to articulate. I, I was never a smart. I, 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 what would we call it these days? I was I was never a, a high achieving student. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very much that. I was I was almost like a ghost student. You know, the student that just kind of gets the head down is always middle ability across yeah. the board. Um, that was always me. I, I never really excelled in it. It was just it was something that. I was passionate about. But I think it's really interesting. I've spoken to a number of people now on these podcasts and, and I do find that a lot of people are like that where they haven't necessarily excelled or been the best student, but they've just got on with it. They've just, and I do think that that, and you mentioned resilience early on. I think that resilience is something that is so key to our profession. Yeah, I think it's something that it, I mean, is it necessarily something that can be taught? Do you know what I mean? Is it something that we talk about teacher training and we talk about how to prepare teachers for day to day kind of like everything that happens throughout the days? And it, it, uh, resilience is one of the biggest things that you've got to have and you've got to be able to maintain. But at the same time, it is something that we'd have to ingrain from a very early age. And it's all about having that that confidence in yourself and having that ability to to take those chances to to reflect on everything that you do to evaluate everything that you're doing as well and it's such an important part of of day-to-day life just being able to have that resilience whether you're a teacher whether you're a you know whether you're an accountant whether you're a librarian whether you know any job in the world it's you're never going to be 100% successful unless you've got the resilience to to take those chances and or, or mm. to to maintain that progress. 
And actually something you said there just got me thinking somewhat because you were talking, you mentioned about reflecting and, and looking at yourself. And I was thinking, actually, we need to teach children the language of that, which is what, you know, which comes up in your book, you know, which is talking about oracy, developing communication beyond the classroom. And language is so important in equipping our young people to be resilient and to be successful professionals in whatever, you know, area that they wish to be. But how did you become so passionate about oracy? Where did that come from? Well, I think a lot of it is, it it all stems back to my experience of the different stages. I mean, obviously, we we just, uh, we talked about at home at the moment with me I've got a 19 month old babbler um but I've got a full scale like you know I've, I've got a full scale measurement of how he is doing and how he is progressing with his language and uh, language acquisition I've then got uh, a nine-year-old who's able to articulate he's able to express you know his emotions uh, although you can still see um the moments of frustration where he's not able to do such a thing and then as yeah. a as a secondary school teacher I'm able to see key stage three and key stage four and I'm able to see how our young people are developing and how we're developing their communication and preparing them for you know the end goal and I'm always adamant about this is not GCSEs the end goal can never be an assessment you cannot have that as an end goal in life because mm. It does not work. Instead, you've just got to see these assessments as bus stops almost on that journey, mm. on that path. And it's where they're being equipped. And it's it's what are, are they being fully prepared for life post-academia, so to speak. And one thing that's always really got me interested with Oracy is the amount that's needed, the amount of communication that's needed post-academia. So obviously in a school setting, we provide our students with subject-specific knowledge, of, you know, all of the disciplinary knowledge, all of the, the information ultimately in order to either go down a specialist professional route or to equip them for the this summative assessment at the end. But I think what really got me thinking was, are our students, are they leaving our colleges? Are they leaving our secondaries? Are they leaving our primaries? Capable of holding conversations, capable of being able to communicate effectively, which is the big one, because obviously there's more to communication than just talking. Are they able to, like, you know, hold get their point across are they and and you know we've talked about this earlier about this ability to articulate language Mm. and if you think about where miscommunication happens often like you know particularly things with frustration a frustration comes from a miss like you know an, an inability to communicate how one is feeling how one is reacting to that situation whether it be a two year old with a toddler tantrum that can't explain that they're tired or an angry 33-year-old woman that can't explain how she's angry because, in essence, she doesn't really know 100%, but she can't articulate that. And and that's where the frustration lies again. And it is this ability to understand. By understanding oracy, you understand communication. By understanding communication, you're able to inadvertently understand yourself. 
because that is in essence what we need to do when we're communicating we're sharing oneself and that's really powerful and I think you know and you touch on this in the book the importance of you know our our young people being able to eventually sit in an interview and speak coherently where actually what they're doing is sharing themselves which is hard it's so hard and I mean even now I've just um obviously I just shared it with yourself that this is this is one of the first kind of podcast interviews that I've ever done. So even I'm kind of you know it, it, I'm I'm eating my own words so to speak in the fact that I, I'm literally <laughs> like it's, I, it is it's very much a case of sharing yourself and, and putting yourself out there and that is absolutely terrifying. And I mean the good thing is, is I I would say. My one, my, my my strength is when I'm able to say when I'm out of my comfort zone. Um, hmm. I'm I'm bordering. I mean, I'm quite happy to talk about <laughs> like you know I'm okay. I'm I'm in the amber, so to speak. Um, but it's it it's the same kind of premise, and I suppose it's the same when you're in front of a class, and it's the same when you're talking to, uh, say for example, a student, or even. In the book, I talk about how communication can be used with colleagues and how you can use communication with leadership. No matter who your audience is, it's the same premise. It's the same necessity that we need to instill from from talking to students, to talking to colleagues, to talking to absolutely from a management perspective. And I think, yeah, it's just it's so important to be able to to be receptive and be open to this idea that we need to assess how we're communicating at the moment and what can be improved. Yeah, I'm nodding away here. And and something's just come to mind, actually, and I don't know if you've ever had this, but I absolutely hate it when you go to those courses and they say, right, just want you to introduce yourself and say something about yourself. And oh my god, the entire time, all I'm thinking is, okay, what's my name and what we're going to say? And you know, by the time it's got to me, twenty people might have gone before me. I won't have heard a thing they've said because I've been so anxious about number one, remembering my name, and number two, um, trying to say something vaguely amusing and interesting, you know, so people don't go, oh my god, what who she, you know, what she, and and it. It's just, yeah. And I was thinking it's something as simple as that that can become so anxiety provoking. Do you know, and that's the thing. And, and this is, it's one of the things that I discuss in my book. Well, it's, it's quite a lot of it, really. It's this idea of being in your comfort zone, being outside of your comfort zone, but also understanding, contextualizing conversations as well. Because it's exactly like you said, in those situations, I hate those kind of situations because mm. I'm not going to lie, under no circuit, like my accent is is very much a mix. I'm quite happy with that. I've, I've accepted that my accent is quite a mix. Um, but when I am like in the car, for example, mm-hmm. uh, when there are certain moments, it goes very oldham. Um, so at the same time, I'm there going, right, don't swear. You're going through the list of things that you can't do. Do not yes. swear. Do not. And I remember, I remember going for an interview and I'll always remember it. Um, I do. I, I remember going for an interview and it was a teacher training interview and I did not get through. Alas, I did not get through past the observation stage. And when I asked for feedback, I remember I was told that I'd said tar to a student, um, when, 
It wasn't in front of the entire class. A student handed me a piece of paper at the end when we were collecting up and I turned around and I said, Ta. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those moments where I'm going, hold on a minute. And I know that we need to, and we constantly need to model our high expectations. But I think we're doing a disservice to ourselves if we don't acknowledge the fact that we're still human. And communication is all about that if you're put on the spot and said right tell me your name and and, and tell me one fact about you it's like you said you, you constantly sat there going well what I mean this fact and you're evaluating the fact in your head as well oh yes I could say this no it sounds too pretentious oh yes I could mm. say this no that sounds too lame no oh, I could say this no 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 it sounds too sarcastic do you know what I mean and you're constantly going through these things and it goes back to having a conversation is a two-way street because what's happening is as you are trying to think of what to say about yourself what are you not doing you're not listening to anyone else that's actually sharing theirs so it's it's I remember once being told that the key to effective communication is effective listening because you can't communicate Mm. a dialogue isn't one person talking and then you thinking about what you're going to say next it's you talking and then you actually listening to what's being said and it's just something that really resonates with me and it's it is those kind of circumstances where it, it it's thrown out of the window so to speak because you're thinking about what you're going to say next completely and I, I remember someone saying to it to me ages ago oh you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason <laughs> you know listening is so much more important and I thought actually I really I really liked that 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 amused me but I think you're right it is we really do need to to teach our children to to listen and and to learn to communicate one of the things that I I do is um at the very when I get a new class I will ask them five things to find out from their partner I'll say I want you to find out their favorite color their favorite food or their you know and I go through five things and then I say right okay so can can you feed back no I d- sorry I'll rephrase that I tell them to tell their partner five things so their favorite whatever so they each tell each other and then I say to them so uh what was your partner's favorite color no one ever has a clue because they've been so busy trying to tell the other person what their favorite color food etc is that they haven't bothered to listen it's so true and one thing that I tried not to do with the book was be very much kind of like dictatorial in in the fact of saying look you you need to talk about oracy you need to put oracy in your curriculum at all stages you need to incorporate into your leadership Mm. and this is how you're going to do it instead I looked at different strategies and I touch on Mm. different strategies and and touching on things like debating in the classroom is a prime example of you know reinforcing and re-establishing effective communication skills about listening and about but it all stems back to this idea of you know I think for a while a loud classroom was deemed uh, an ineffective classroom and you've got to begin to question well where have these like you know where these rules come from that being said one of the things that I also touch upon is the fact that both monologic and dialogic teaching they're you know in my opinion they're both useful. It's you know what I mean, and it's not a case of state world. Can that... you unpick? Can you unpick for listeners out there? Of what course, monologic and dialogic means. 
So your dialogic teaching strategies are all of your ones that are very much oracy and communication based. It's all about the debate. It's all about the the Socratic question. And it's all about very much um, the communication, the collaborative learning strategies. And the dial, mm-hmm. you know, and the monologic is is very much teacher led. It's very much, it's yeah. almost like the lecture style. And, mm-hmm. in, you know, I, I am... There'll always be those people that are very much like, no, every single classroom should be dialogic. It should all be dialogic fashion. But I still see the merit in sometimes incorporating monologic teaching. It's almost, if you imagine at university, you have the lecture and then you've got the seminar. So you've got the monologic and then you've got the dialogic. And that happens for a reason because you have to have the information before you can process it and discuss it further. And, and, it's so important to understand and contextualize as well and to be able to say, right, well, all of these different fabulous teaching and learning strategies are out, that are out there and all of these different um, strategies that we can incorporate, how will they be used and how will they be effective in my classroom? And, you know, can they be used and be effective in my classroom and in what kind of proportion? And it's just so important to be able to think, right, well, what do we need? What do I, what do the learners need is the biggest thing when you're approaching teaching and learning. So I've got a weird question for you, but one yeah. that's popped into my mind. No worries. Should, should the oracy just be in the arena of the English classroom in primary <sighs> and secondary? Do you know what? Um, one of the things that I think encourage the conversation that was a catalyst for writing the book was mm. um the the government announcement that in order to to support the english subject throughout the the pandemic they would not incorporate the speaking and listening the recorded component of the speaking and listening and i think watching a lot of the communication um about that and the you know, the the after effect and the post announcement, it was very much like, oh, thank goodness. You know, it was an inconvenience anyway. And even myself, I was going, yeah, no, it was an inconvenience to have to record them. It was. And then I started reflecting and I started thinking, hold on, this is this is what communication has come to for us. This is this is the extent of what we class our post primary school oracy academia It is. It's been kind of sequestered into a subject-specific role and yeah. one that is is almost like a hindrance as, a, as opposed to a help. And, you know, when you begin to think about it in the curriculum, it's, it's frustrating, it is, and it's incredibly unacceptable that that's the way that oracy is seen after primary school you know we've got all of these measurements on how important communication is how important communication is in the basic child development how important communication is in able to help the emotional and support the well-being of a child Mm -hmm. um, throughout primary school and then it seems to get lost along the way in some circumstances and yet we we do have schools to this day that that are really incorporating oracy well and the the contributions that I had to the book from um, from different practitioners across the nation was absolutely fabulous in in reigniting my belief that the oracy is still being used properly and it is still being incorporated properly elsewhere. 
but it is still something that I think we need to address head on, definitely post age 11. So that's in, like, you know, that's in secondary schools and in colleges as well. It's something that we need to really bring back into the spotlight. And we talked about the triad of literacy, numeracy and oracy. Mm -hmm. And it's about ensuring that everyone is aware of the fact that it's all three that need incorporated across the curriculum across each subject as opposed to just being sidetracked and swiped into the English rebit. Which makes it makes complete sense what you're saying because actually you can't do any any other subjects really without literacy, numeracy and oracy but they become as you say sequestered into subject specific this is what you do in English or this is what you do in maths and you won't need to do it elsewhere which seems bizarre it is it's so it's I don't I don't even know how to like because obviously across the curriculum um you know we talk about collaborative learning and so we we do you know there are elements of oracy and there will be elements of oracy that every single teacher will already be using and that is absolutely fantastic and I think it's just bringing the implicit into the explicit but really encouraging those students to to be able to explain why have they done that? And, you know, um, Sam Strickland talks about in the book when he, he provided the contribution and he says about being able to obviously the chanting and the repetition of it and really reinforcing the explanation behind it. I remember um, the GCSE maths curriculum, how that became a lot more, they asked for a lot more explanation in there. Mm-hmm. And it should just be common nature. Well, okay, what is the answer? Okay, the answer is such and such a thing. Well, how have you got there? And I know that that was something from my own personal experience, that was something that my um, my own son struggles with. He is ridiculously good at maths. For for someone who, like, I don't know where it came from. I, I don't know. But he is ridiculously good <laughs> at maths. But I remember when we were in parents' evening, I sat down and they said that the the problem that he's got is that he's able to explain, he's able to give the answer, but not explain how he got there. Mm. And that's the oracy part. That's the communication. That's being able to. And in essence, does that not stem back to being able to confidently assert your own perspective? Do you know what I mean? Especially with something like maths. With maths, there's your right answer. Okay. But how have you got there? Well, what if the process to get in there is something that could be deemed wrong? And it is it's it's about once again about saying it's having the confidence to to share the process of thought, really. Yeah, it's what you're saying makes so much sense. It really does. And I think as a primary teacher, you know, it it is tricky teaching reasoning in maths. But actually, if we're teaching oracy across the curriculum um, in a very, very uh, overt fashion, as you say, actually, surely it won't be as tricky. I think it's the biggest process to undertake is one where thought processes can be verbalised and reasoning can take place without fear of retribution. And I think that's, you know, as soon as you've got that kind of classroom environment, 
that's that's what oracy is that's what oracy allows for the capability to do it allows for resilient reasoned thinkers that are ready for post academia yeah and i i know in the book you know it, it you it's i forget which chapter it's in i apologize but it talks about teacher modeling teacher modeling of that that you know verbalizing their thinking processes because i think that's so vital for young people to hear to actually hear us verbalizing what's going on in our minds um, it's vital it is and it's and that's where um that's where a lot of the miscommunication happens as well and we talk about effective communication and then you know we talk about how breakdown in communication can happen and i think what's what i enjoyed about when i was writing the book was thinking about it as a teacher as a parent as a leader and and thinking about where we have those breakdowns in communication in all of those different mm-hmm. roles and there's so much to think about and it's it's not just obviously what's being said it's the content it's the tone it's the body language it's the failure to listen to what's being said it's the lack of contextualization it's the inability to consider the audience um and it's it's all of those things that if you don't, if you take them for granted or if you don't use them properly, it comes across in the wrong way. And I think as adults, we can take communication for granted in a sense, just thinking, well, it, you know, it's relatively simplistic, but it's not. When I listen to that list from you of the things that we need to consider when we are communicating effectively, there is so much to it, which is why I think I really enjoyed reading your book so much because it enabled me to become much more aware whenever I'm teaching about what it is I need to consider and and really bring into the classroom to enable my young people to really fly. Well, this is it. And I think it's it's important for us to reassess and evaluate as adults just as much as it is mm. as practitioners. I mean, um, we talk about how adults can communicate properly. I'm, you know, eight years into my marriage and my husband still believes that the words I'm fine are completely acceptable. Um, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, we've the communication. It's and I talk about that in the book as well. The words OK and I'm fine and how actually mm. there's so much more to them. And I think it's about knowing your colleagues and knowing, you know, it's the we're at such a hard time at the moment as 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 yeah. teachers as practitioners and, and not only do we have to look after the students in front of us but we have to look after each other as well and I think sometimes it's it's thinking about all of the different signs of communication and, and having a little alert of well hold on a minute something's not right there that tone you know is a bit off or the body language is saying that that person you know maybe just needs Mm. someone to ask or just needs someone to listen and yeah it's just so important (laughs) well it's funny I was just thinking while you were saying that about the importance of eye contact and the fact that the amount of children that I've had to teach eye contact to and the reason I became aware of it is because as an adult I was really poor at giving eye contact and got called out on it because people would think I wasn't interested because I wasn't giving eye contact. Oh gosh, yeah, actually, I am awful. 
<laughs> yeah, and it was it, it, well. Uh, the truth is, I was just incredibly shy in my early twenties, so I didn't give eye contact, and you know, I was basically told it appeared rude. And now it's teaching children, you know, the young people I teach, to give eye contact because I think that's a really vital communication skill that they need to be taught and learn. Well, this is it. We talk about, um, and the book touches briefly on on the process of slant and and the process of. Mm. Um, like you know the active listening skills and I know that in some circumstances that can be seen as as exceedingly dictatorial and it's you know it it seems to have been blown completely out of proportion when in essence well it's like no it's it's not saying that you need to go in and it needs to look like this almost army military style everyone sat there everyone's doing this it's teaching them you know how do we show that we are effective communicators? How do we show that we're listening effectively? And it's not saying, right, every single piece of it, you know, every single component needs to be done every single time. It's, it's, it's teaching. How do we actually show that, you know, is there a way that we can show that we're listening? Um, Because, you know, and even from just a, like, you know, a basic conversation, even just a, an emotional conversation between two people, you need to, look like you're listening and well actually listen obviously but you you don't want to come across as as like you said about not being able to maintain the eye contact and things Mm. like that could come across as insincerity when actually it's just it's another part of communication that we need to acknowledge yeah and it's like when someone's being interviewed you know you actually do need to have eye contact with the interviewer you can't sort of look down at the floor the entire time and you know I think that's such a vital life skill to learn really is it is and it's 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 a it's one that a lot of it comes off practice and a lot of it has to come from those experiences as well so it's 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 exactly like I said about moving the implicit into the explicit not only do we have to you know the dialogue needs to change as well so it's not a case of right well when you finish these exams no it should be right well when you go for a job interview when you go for you know when you're having these discussions with your employer when you're you know when we talk about from an English perspective, when we talk about having to introduce to key stage four, right, well, or, or even key stage three, key stage two, when you write a letter, but then the dialogue needs to change. It needs to be, right, well, when you're writing your personal statement, for you know, when you're writing your letter to your employer, so to speak, when you're making a complaint, you know, the best one that I came out yes. with the other day, well, when will we need to write a letter? Oh, there will be something that you will need to complain about as an adult, trust me. <laughs> like, you will have to write a very sternly worded letter to somebody and you'll probably get a voucher at the end of it. But and it's, it's day-to-day life and it's, it's opening mm. up just how much we allow our young people to see into you know giving them a glimpse of the future and giving them a glimpse of look this is this is what's going forward the most successful schools are those schools that build on the aspirations of young people not the ones that are very much academically focused they're not the most successful the most successful are those schools that are able to produce these students that are both academically aware and world aware as well. Sarah, I could talk to you all day about this subject because your passion and my passion combined just immense. (laughs) But I think, you know, you're absolutely right. It is 
it is all about preparing our students for the future that awaits them. And I would love to be in your classroom. But out of interest, if you could have had any teacher, living or dead, to to be your teacher, who would it have been? Oh, wow. Oh, do you know what? So many. I'd be so interested. I mean, I know it sounds so cliche, but I think a lot, every single year I'm faced with the same conversation of, well, Miss, how do you know that William Shakespeare actually wanted that? And I just, <laughs> I, I, I feel like if he actually taught me, I'd be able to go, well, I'll, I'll tell you something, my students, that uh, he actually <laughs> said this to me. And I, I just, yeah, I think it sounds so cliche, but I do think it would be so helpful to actually know what he was thinking. Um it, it it would be so interesting but then uh, you know it it would probably be the the most influential people of our times those that really react mary shelley um mm. you know the the way that she produced such a marvel um or oh, so many i think every i think the good thing is is my mantra is always um in order to be prepared to teach you have to be prepared to learn so I think anyone can teach me. <laughs> anyone can teach me. Someone taught me tiling the other day. Anyone can teach me anything. And I'd still like have the same amount of awe for them. I love that. And I, I especially love the fact that someone taught you tiling the other day. That's that's quite yeah, amazing, really. <laughs> so, Sarah, for anyone that wants to get hold of your book or wants to get, you know, contact you or whatever, what's the best way? Uh, so the book itself is actually out now and it's on Amazon and John Cat Ed. And that is talking about oracy, developing communication beyond the classroom. And then any contact with me, you can actually get me on Twitter. Um and my handle is sjdavies87 uh it's it's been great chatting to you and what's lovely is that uh, you know we met through twitter we you know you regularly are on yeah. tiny voice talks um you know that but well, well it's tiny voice tuesday nights to be tiny voice talks by the time this goes out it'll be tiny voice talks on tuesdays and it's really nice to see your voice truly being heard actually i i absolutely love it it's it's just makes yeah makes me very very happy and just keep talking about talking absolutely thank you so much 